and welcome to the Careers by Design podcast. I'm Sharon Belden Castingway, Director of the Gordon Career Center at Wesleyan University. Today I am joined, not coincidentally, by Andy Gordon, class of 1986. Andy, why don't we start by having you tell me a little bit about what you're doing now? Sure. So uh, from a career perspective, I am a partner at Goldman Sachs, uh, one of the largest um, investment banking firms in the world. Um, I do three things for the firm. I run our West Coast investment banking business. I run our global media and telecom practice uh, for clients across the world. And I'm also chairman of our investment banking services group, which is 450 investment bankers uh, across the world uh, as well. Besides that, um, I'm just left being the chairman of the LA County Museum of Art, where I served as eight years guiding that institution. And I'm also now a trustee of Wesleyan University, which I'm very proud and very happy to be part of. We're happy about it too. Uh, let's go back in time a bit. Uh, were you the type of kid who like saved his allowance and lent his money to his siblings? Uh, were there early signs you were going to pursue this career path? Really good question. You know, from an early age, I was very entrepreneurial. So uh, one of the first things I did was uh, I created a business around Tandy branded leather uh, bracelets and leather goods that you would stamp with a hammer and and I'd sell them and people would buy them and that was pretty interesting and then I liked uh, uh, magic when I was a young kid and so I made a business out of that when I was 12 for kids birthday parties and I had a partner it was called Houdini and Company and we actually raised rabbits and and doves to use in our show and that became a business out of that (laughs) exactly (laughs) so that was fun and then the third thing then was I loved collecting things and it's probably dated your time, but um, we used to collect these things called Wacky Packs when I was in elementary school, which are these stickers that are owned by Topps Company now, and I used to trade those, and they also sold them in series, or buy bubble gum at the drugstore and resell them at the in uh, school. And then the last thing I did was comic books. And uh, after the magic, um, I started uh, trading comic books from the 50s and 60s, uh, and they became actually more and more uh, valuable as people were finding this to be an art form and actually the one thing I'm really proud of is the only comic books I saved uh, were the first 15 of the Marvel series Star Wars when they came out in wow. the 70s so those actually become very valuable now I can that, imagine that now Star Wars is a big hit uh, in the movie theaters again so yes the answer is probably I was always interested in in business so why did you decide to attend a liberal arts college great question um, so Junior year in high school, uh, my mother and Michael Bay's mother actually uh, uh, said that we should go back east and see what it was like back east. And there was this great program at a place called Phillips Academy in Andover. And all of us looked at each other like, what are you talking about? We're going to be seniors next year. We want to hang out at the beach in Los Angeles and Malibu. There's no reason to be going back east and to some place we've never been. And they all decided we're going to go. So we went with a group of us, about six of us from L.A. came to Andover and we absolutely loved it. And part of the Andover experience in the summer was to go visit all these New England schools, sure. either on your own or with uh, a guided tour by uh, professors from Andover. It turned out one of the weekends was with um, a friend of mine um, whose parents uh, taught and were administrators at Westland. So we came down for the weekend, uh, like five of us did, and we saw the campus. We thought, you know, this is a cool place. Maybe we'll apply here. So uh, it turned out when I was applying to schools, uh, all I wanted to do was come back east to liberal arts school. And I actually applied at the time early to Westland when oh, I got okay. in. So 
I didn't need to apply anywhere else. <laughs> so there you great. go. That's great. And how were you a different person when you graduated from when you started? <laughs> oh, boy, that's a really good question. Well, I'll tell you, I came here thinking that Wesleyan would be like Andover, and it wasn't. <laughs> uh, it was colder because I was here during the winter time. <laughs> right. Um, it was harder because the classes were, you know, intense classes. It wasn't photography and French, which I was taking at the time in Andover. And it was a world apart, um, leaving California to come to New England. And my first experience was, you know, uh, my folks actually dropped me off, but everybody else's parents drove them down to station wagons with all these things. So we got Mm -hmm. here and I had nothing. And my folks were like, oh my, we have to go like get you a mattress. We have to go get you things for your room. And so, um, you could see that there's generational opportunity for people who live so close and a lot of them knew each other because they went to all these schools in New England or New York there were only a few of us that really came from L.A. So I was a little homesick that first year. Mm-hmm. And then it all clicked kind of in the second semester. And I really got into the community here, um, both the academic community and then also the social community. I was a, a brother at Site Upsilon. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, some of my best friends today are still from my relationships at Wesleyan University. So I would say when I left Wesleyan... I felt like I was prepared to do really anything. Um, I felt that the education really was a means to figure out a problem solve mm-hmm. on a pretty broad basis and to use the skills um, that I learned here at Westland to go into anything that I decided and obviously business at, at Goldman Sachs is what I decided to mm-hmm. do. Uh, but I felt that I had the uh, building blocks um, to confidently go into the workplace. Uh, tell me about what your thinking was while you were here about what you would do after you graduate. Did you have um, things that you were doing, uh, summer internships or experiences on campus, anything that was giving you an inkling of what you were going to do after graduation? Yeah, so in 1984, when I was a um, sophomore, um, I uh, decided that I would apply for an internship at Goldman Sachs in Los Uh, Angeles during the Olympics. Oh, wow. Okay. Because uh, uh, the 84 Olympics mm-hmm. were there, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do something kind of constructive besides just going to the Olympics, and I didn't even know if they had such a thing. And so it turned out um, that one of my friends in high school's father was involved in the business in L.A., and so I had a meeting, and I went to see him and asked, and they're like, we don't really do this, but, you know, we have some issues we're trying to solve in, in um, the um, – technical area to help support our salespeople selling fixed income and mortgage okay. securities. And I said, okay, you know, I'll learn. And they're like, great. So here you start at seven in the morning, you know, five days a week, seven in the morning. I thought right. it was way too early. <laughs> of course, now I know that seven is actually late and for most people. Um, but I was done by two. So I okay. had an opportunity to go to the Olympics uh, during that time. But the reason I decided to seek that out was uh, a number of my friends who were older mm-hmm. were going to this analyst program, which was pretty new, within five years of okay. actually being originated mm-hmm. on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, okay, let me see if this is something that would be interesting to me uh, and do it around the Olympics. Right. Basically. Okay. Okay. And you went directly to Goldman after graduation? Yes, but I actually didn't spend all four years at Wesleyan. I spent uh, my oh, junior okay. year, I went to the London School of Economics. Oh, okay. Um, which was really neat. I mean, Wesleyan actually at the time, and I still believe, is uh, very interested in you trying to do other things besides mm-hmm. staying at Wesleyan sure. for four years. And so it was a great way to see how how um, uh, other folks in the world looked at the U.S. Mm-hmm. It was a great mm-hmm. way to meet people. 
and to, to learn about a totally different uh, economic and political system, uh, which existed sort of in the UK at that time and in Eastern Europe, for sure, at that right, time. Right, right, right. So that's what I did. Okay. Were you able to take classes there that were more, I guess, traditionally practical, like finance, or was it more straight economics the way you might have done here? No, it's actually even different than both of those, okay. which was uh, the way they teach at LSE. It's a year-long course, very few assignments between okay. exams, yep. and maybe you write one paper, mm-hmm. which was really odd compared to how Weston was very rigorous, and you had weekly things right, you had to accomplish. Right. And then you had this advisor system where the advisor had to hear what you were learning and how you were applying it. But essentially, okay. most of the classes there were very socialist in nature. So oh, interesting. LSE was a bastion for socialist teachings and the socialist economic policies, which were incredibly different than everything right. that we experienced <laughs> here in the U.S. But it was neat to be part of that. And the lecturers were really cool people. Mm-hmm. And, um, they went after it very differently and, of course, taught us something that was unique right. in that regard. So, no, it wasn't sort of vocational or practical in that regard. Right. Okay. It was more, uh, more educational, more academic. So when you joined Goldman after graduation, was it in L.A. or was it in New York? No, uh, they, uh, New York. And actually, I wanted to okay. stay on the East Coast. Um, I had my whole um, four years, one obviously in, in London, but I met so many people that were on the the East Coast, a number of whom were going to Boston or New York. Mm-hmm. And so I actually really wasn't that interested, notwithstanding the weather, to go back okay. to L.A. <laughs> and all these programs, and I applied to many of the uh, big firms, and there are a lot more at that time than there are today, uh, were, mo- were in New York City. There are mm-hmm. very few opportunities outside of New York City. Right. Um, so that's, that's where I went. Okay. And tell me about that first role, you know, your... You're fresh out of college. You've had a bit of experience, obviously, from having been there for the summer. But what was that transition like into uh, the work world? Uh, it was shocking. Um, besides having to wear a suit every day, um, <laughs> the hours were incredibly grueling. And the learning curves were much steeper than college because you had, in college, you had a, you had a semester to master the course, right? And you had little pods of that. Well, in, in any business, by the way, but especially in Wall Street, you had to learn something every single day and you had to learn it like to be able to present it, you know, mm-hmm, a week later. Mm-hmm. So the ability to do that, absorb all this information and do all the work and do all the presentations and be ready to present right, right. cause you to work, you know, incredibly late hours. And a lot of the things that are now, you know, made so easy with the internet and get, and it's really big data gathering was all done by hand mm-hmm, by us mm-hmm. and, then a, and an HP 12C calculator. You probably know what that is. But it was, we carry that calculator and we yep. go to the library mm-hmm. to assemble all this data at yep. night when we weren't doing meetings. And mm-hmm. so you didn't have anything with regard to what you have in terms of data right. gathering today. So right. it was long hours. Um, seven in the morning was like, you know, terrific because... Um, you actually meant you slept the night before, um, and that was shocking. But it took it literally took six months to get used to a very different lifestyle. Right, right. And what area of the bank were you starting out? You were in an analyst program. Yeah, in the investment banking in investment part of banking. it, and I focused um, on financial institutions, so okay. banks, insurance mm-hmm. companies, mortgage banks, savings and loans. Some some of these com- these industries don't even exist anymore. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what I worked on initially. And how long did you stay there before you shifted within the bank? So I stayed in New York um, for seven years, um, and I actually went into the mergers and acquisitions department after about a year and a half, okay. where I did M&A for financial institutions and media companies and consumer companies. And then uh, my life, you know, sort of um, 
was headed out west, and so I ended up convincing them that they needed someone like me mm. um, out west. Okay. And after about a year of convincing, they said, okay, you're right. <laughs> were your parents happy about that move? You were returning back home? Or did they want you back on the East Coast? What did they think about this whole plan of yours after you finished Wesleyan? Um, they didn't know much about Wall Street except what stockbrokers do. So this whole okay. idea of investment banking and helping corporations raise money and do mergers and acquisitions was a little bit foreign to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously read about what Goldman Sachs was and what these firms were doing on Wall Street to help the, the economy grow and take companies like Microsoft public. And so they thought it sounded pretty cool. And I think they were very proud to see that, you know, I wasn't, I was going to a good profession mm-hmm. that actually would make, you know, a decent uh, amount of money um, that, so I could support myself. Not mm-hmm. because right. they cared about that, but they were like, we paid for college, now you're right, on your right, own. Right, right, right. You were going to move back home. <laughs> and quite frankly, you know, there have been only rare instances where I needed money from them since I graduated, mm-hmm. which, you know, I feel pretty proud of being able to do right. myself. Right, too. right. How about your friends? Were there a lot of people that were going into business or into banking? Were they all pretty diffuse in their interests? Uh, yeah, so I had a core group of people that were going on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, um, <laughs> uh, Mike Fries and, and, and Robert Cousin are on the board now. They are a year ahead of me, and they were already on Wall Street. And I remember having to go interview on Wall Street and stay in their apartment. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't need a place to stay, uh, so I could do all these interviews. And now you're all trustee. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works. But uh, but uh, uh, I had that group, but then I also had friends who went into medicine, who went mm-hmm. on to graduate schools, mm-hmm. um, some who became psychologists and professors. So yeah, I had sort of the, the neat thing about Wesleyan was, of course, I met with met people and were involved with people who had all these different interests and, and aspirations, mm-hmm. and of course. Um, one in Hollywood, um, right. that I mentioned earlier. Right, right. So you're you're in LA. Your career is developing within the bank. What made you stay with Goldman? Can Can you talk a little bit about how your career progressed and what kept you there, as opposed sure. to say moving on to another firm at some point in time? Sure. So um, uh, after two years being an analyst, uh, you had a choice. Well, you we basically were told to go to business school. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to stay. Okay. Uh, there are about five or six of us out of a class of sixty or seventy people that said, hey, if you don't want to go to business school, you know, we'd like to promote you and you can have a career at Goldman Sachs. So I thought long and hard about that. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of research and I talked to friends who had gone to business school and I realized that while business school had been a great opportunity, especially to break out and think about other mm-hmm. careers and also meet dynamic people and sort of further my own business education, I really enjoyed what I was doing mm-hmm. uh, so much. And, and what I would say by that is I got to be sort of at the heart in whatever company I was working on, their most important strategic initiatives. Mm-hmm. And I, it put me at a very young age, you know, in boardrooms with CEOs and boards of directors, with chief financial officers, helping them think about their strategy, how to raise capital, how to do mergers and acquisitions, and do that for them. And so because of that, um, I thought that I would lose more by leaving than by staying. And it turned out the way the industry, the investment banking industry sort of developed and then sort of the clients that I was involved in were developing, there was just a huge amount of transactional opportunity. And, and again, to continue that learning curve, I felt that I could do it. So that was sort of point one. Point two was I was surrounded by incredibly smart people. And so as you think about you know people's transition from high school to college and then ultimately to where they decide they're going to either career or teach whatever, it's a process by which you are um, 
part of a group of people who are either intellectually your peer or in most cases smarter than you are. Mm -hmm. And when that's the case, you learn so much by being part of that dynamic group because you're always trying to work in team settings and provide sort of the best, best way based on your skills and come by the person that you're working with. And that's really an important part of anything you do in mm-hmm. life is to how to work well in teams. And so for all those reasons, I felt like this was, this was a place I should stay. And then what happens is, you know, as you're successful in the business and you help drive your own career, and that's a very important aspect of whatever you do, which is you can't rely on, on other people. You actually have to be the one to make things happen and people who are around you, whatever you're doing, actually want to help you. That's how you think about it. And you have to do it in a way that is consistent with their own strategies and their own you know, business um, plans, if that's where you're, you're spending time. But people want you to be a self-starter in whatever you're doing. And so that's how I sort of made the, my career at Goldman, created opportunities in places where people didn't think there were opportunities mm. uh, to do that. And so. What happened was at a young age, I got a lot of responsibility and I got to move to LA. I got even more responsibility and my career grew, you know, mm-hmm. based on that. And this is a pretty exciting place. And every day still, I go to work not knowing what's going to happen because it's market driven, it's clients have a need, a client gets a call from somebody else who would like to buy something. And so while you think you know what you're doing every day, you actually go to the office or you go to a client meeting. And things change, and I really like living that way. People think of investment banking as being incredibly stressful. Can you point to a specific day that you remember as being particularly stressful? <clears throat> well, there were many days that were particularly <laughs> stressful, but I do remember um, one uh, particular day, it's a, it's a funny story, so I'll tell it to you, but the, the boss I was working for at the time, um, we had to drive to a meeting in uh, Pennsylvania, and we were in, in Manhattan, so he said, hey, rent a car, pick me up, and you know, we'll do some work, but I can read and, and get ready for this meeting, and so I show up to his apartment, and I say, I've got the car, you know, I've got all the materials for the meeting, but I don't have a valid driver's license, which the first thing I learned was, I should have just driven. <laughs> right. dealt with, we got a ticket, deal with it later. And so he got extremely upset. He spilled coffee all over himself. And he said, okay, I'll drive. You get in the passenger seat. And guess what? You're going to read me the entire presentation for the next two hours. <laughs> so I was thought I'd be fired when I, right. when I got back. And it turned out we did a great job at the meeting. The materials were right. But there are those types of things that, that were stressful along the way. And then, you know, in our business, we're, we're constantly having to pitch um, to win a particular piece of business. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're a person that likes to, you know, uh, be in a competitive environment, we have that every day. And so there'll be stressful things that we want to win because they're big, important opportunities. And if you don't win, mm-hmm. it's kind of stressful that you didn't win. And, right. and uh, all, the other thing that's stressful in our business is you used to have to wait for the Wall Street Journal to come out to see which of your clients has done something and you weren't involved. Now, of course, the internet, we can look at the night before when it's published online right. at 11 o'clock at night, and we know exactly what we're in store for for, for the mornings. But um, part of that stress is part of the interest in this business. So you have to have this right. sort of personality type that can handle and juggle a lot of things at once, which is another thing that I like to do. Right, right. 
Was there a particular moment, a tipping point, if you will, where you realized that you were successful? Um, well, there, there are two things in our business that I think would, would say you're successful. And then I would say that, um, you, you get that kind of each and every day by the clients you work with. But the, the offer of getting an offer of Goldman Sachs felt really good at mm -hmm. the time. And it was a unique, you know, thing to get that offer in the mail. And they tell you, they give you $5,000 to help you move to New York. And that was a lot of money. And so it's still a lot of money. Um, and so that was a really sort of, you know, entry point. Then the other part in your career is when you get a call from the senior partner to say, congratulations, you made partner mm -hmm. at Goldman Sachs. And I was lucky enough to make partner before I went public uh, the last year before I went public. And I got two calls because I had co-chairman at the time and it was a five in the morning in LA. And, you know, so that, that was like one of these incredible career calls, you know, and after only having been at the firm for 12 years to get that call was pretty remarkable. That's amazing. But so that's kind of the internal part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but you, but really the success happens almost weekly with how your clients respond to the advice that you give them. And you know you're successful in our business when clients start to call you instead of you always having to call them. And so that happened early on. But to get that call from a client saying, hey, Andy, we're thinking about X, Y, and Z. Can you come talk to us about it? Or what do you think? Um, that's a real game changer in our business. And that's what attracted me to the business early on, that people 40 years older than me were asking my opinion. And that's a big turn on when you're in this part of the business. Right. Is there a win that you're particularly proud of? Something you really look back on as being a beacon? You know, it's fine. I'm going to change what you would expect the answer to be to okay. something that's very different. I mean, what I'm most proud of um, is the school that we started, you know, 11 years ago. And that to me is more important than any particular client win or transactional win, which was a way to sort of um, do a lot of, th to, to help with a lot of the things that I had learned at Westland mm -hmm. and at Goldman Sachs and in philanthropy to start a brand new high school in Los Angeles, which hadn't been done for 40 years. And to be part of that process, to be the chairman of the board and okay. to hire the person to run it to help figure out the curriculum. And we were, we're an eight blind uh, school which is unique for mm -hmm. a preparatory school and so I'm actually most proud of that. Tell me a bit about the school. So the school's named Sierra Canyon uh, School and it's out in Chatsworth in Los Angeles and um, when my children were in kindergarten we were sending them to the, the grammar school that existed and we were approached by the founders of the school saying we want to get a couple parents together um, to start the high school because we lose all our great kids to all these great schools in LA in sixth and eighth grade. So at the time, we thought that um, the idea of having another school um, that was in Los Angeles, there are only about five or six really, you know, non-denominational private schools in LA of okay. substance. To have that opportunity uh, seemed unique. So um, uh, I said, yeah, you know, we'll get frontally involved, not just with money, but with coalescing a group of people to get this off the ground and um, it was a lot of hard work it was mm -hmm. like starting a business quite sure. frankly yeah. and what we said at the time was we wanted to create an institution that prepared kids for the world they were going to enter into 
which meant that we had to look at education a little bit differently than the schools mm-hmm. that have been around mm-hmm. for 50, 60, 100, right, or 200 right, years. Right. And we had to find the right leader for that, which had to build a school and build a curriculum mm-hmm. and build a faculty. And, um, you know, our, t- our tenants were that we wanted to prepare kids for uh, the new millennium to be leading whatever they did um, when they left, to uh, open their eyes to things in, in a global economy and a global world where you had a cultural sensitivity, where you had to have uh, sensitive to the environment and that you had to be open to, you know, learning and being involved in other languages mm-hmm. beyond what was taught you know, uh, before. So we offer Mandarin Chinese. We offer okay. programs in conservation and the environment. We we offer a multitude of programs in tolerance and diversity through educational curricular classes. So besides having sports and drama and everything it, else right, you expect in school. Right, right, so that right. was a very exciting part of, of doing that. And, you know, it was uh, a challenge, quite frankly, because I hadn't done anything like that before. So I know that wasn't what you were expecting the answer no, to be. No, no, but, but that's a great answer. But that's answer. something I'm really that's proud of. That's still a great answer. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest misconception about working on Wall Street? You know, a lot of students have these preconceived notions of what that's going to be like. Is there anything you would point to as just being completely wrong? Um, Well, I think there's been a misconception uh, about Wall Street that uh, came out of the financial crisis in 2008 in particular um, that was exacerbated by the administration and by people losing their savings and their jobs and and I still think in today's political environment, you're seeing some of the candidates go back to, you know, uh, being difficult around Wall Street and, and banks, et cetera. But I think the misconception around that, and I'll talk about kind of the job piece mm-hmm. of it, but the misconception is that the banking system, the banking industry in the United States is the envy of every capital market in the world. Um, the ability to raise capital and to have investors meet with issuers every single day in an organized fashion. Uh, is unique uh, to the U.S. and obviously is spread out throughout the world. But the, the transparency, mostly in our system, uh, doesn't exist in other parts of the world. Mm. And the amount and size of the capital market is much bigger in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. And what people don't understand, unless they take these classes mm-hmm, you know, at mm-hmm. Wesleyan or in other places about how the economy works, is without a vibrant banking system, there is no economy. There is no ability to grow. There's no ability to buy a house. There's no ability to, to finance education. And so it all has to work together. And so uh, having sort of a, a wide group of the populace think that banking and Wall Street is bad isn't really good for the economy at the end of the mm-hmm. day. And so, sure, mm-hmm. are there people that have misused their positions for their own greed or for their own self-gain? Absolutely. By the way, that happens in every business, mm-hmm. uh, not just mm-hmm. on Wall Street. Um, so I think there's a misconception about the benefit of the financial system, not only to you know, everybody in the U.S., but to the entire world. Beyond that, what I would say is the misconception is that uh, Wall Street is, a, is a, a very tough and sort of male-dominated world. I think that's changed a lot um, in the last 20 years. I think Wall Street is actually has led the, I think, corporate world in terms of tolerance and um, equality, uh, both with women and with LGBT members mm-hmm. and uh, with diversity across all the things that they do, and in some cases has really led some of these efforts that have changed sort of uh, uh, the social policies in the country, and other corporations have followed suit you know, pretty quickly. So I say they've been sort of leaders in a lot of areas mm-hmm. uh, around that. Um, the second thing I would say is that... Um, 
while there's a lot of demand on your time, there's a lot of opportunity that comes from it. So not everybody stays in the industry, but the training they get goes on to help them whatever they may do. And it's not for everybody, you know? It's like mm -hmm. anything you decide to do, it's not for everybody. What haven't I asked you that's important to know to understand your career? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, you didn't ask me about, you know, um, my family or mm -hmm. what drove me to um, think about uh, this beyond sort of my own efforts. And I would say that um, family plays a very important role in everybody's life. And in my case, my parents, uh, my father in particular, worked very hard and my grandfather worked very hard. And my grandfather, you know, grew up in the post-depression U.S. And so his goal had always been to work hard to provide a better life for his kids so his kids could provide a better life for their kids. And so I got that from a very young age, sort of that sort of work ethic. And I worked from, as I told you, either entrepreneurs or I worked in jobs from a very young age. And I think that sort of gave me the temperament to go out and work really hard after college. You know, I, I never took for granted all the opportunity that I was given growing up in my family and watching my father work really hard for the benefit of us. And I felt like, okay, now it's my turn to go do that, mm -hmm. you know, for my kids. Um, so that, that kind of the work ethic uh, philosophy that <clears throat> I think you get from a young age and, and hard to get just to be thrown into a job. You sort of have to understand that and see it for yourself to be able to, I think, go out and get it done. The other thing was my grandfather who never graduated high school, um, but was very successful, sort of a street smart business person um, always felt like he wanted to give while he was alive so he could see the benefit of whatever he decided to do. So whether that was a gift for his grandson or granddaughter or, more importantly, for charity. He was very involved in the uh, orchestra and for um, uh, kids in education and things that he never got himself, but he wanted to do a lot of that while he was alive. So when I was able to start giving back, one of the first things, by the way, we did was set up scholarships here at Westland oh, okay. in the name of my grandfather and grandmother, uh, both of whom didn't really graduate from high school, and my grandmother was alive um, for the first selection of some of those um, students who got the scholarship, and she helped me pick oh, the first great. one, and it was really great, her thought process around that, and and um, those kind of things are, um, again, you can't learn those, you have to sort of be part of a family that thinks about that and ultimately take that into your own on lives in the way that works. That's great. Andy, thank you very much for joining me today. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Sharon. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Careers by Design, The Interviews. Production by Sharon Belden Castingway. Music by Andrew Santanello. Interested in designing your own career? Check out our Careers by Design online course, available on iTunes U and the Wesleyan University website.